you don't have a Bible, it'll be page 786 uh, in your pew Bible. We're going to take a look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today to finish up our sermon series in Habakkuk next week. Uh, we're going to go over a little bit today. Uh, I'm going to try to make it as brief as, as possible. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. To get started this morning, we're going to read verses 1 through 2, and then we'll pray. Hear God's word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would move this morning as we read your word and as we reflect upon your word. And we seek to see how your word is really applicable to our lives here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He pulled out a gun in the middle of the football game. I'll never forget it. I was at a deacon's house a number of years ago. It was not a deacon here at the ARP Church of Bartow, so rest assured. But I was at a deacon's house of a church I was pastoring. In the middle of a football game we were watching, he pulls out his forty caliber Glock. I got a little afraid. I didn't know what he was going to do with that. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know if he was angry at the football game. He was going to shoot at the television. I didn't know if I had said something to offend him. He was going to shoot me. I didn't think that was his character. But quickly he, he popped the clip out and he made sure the gun was clear. And then he handed it to me. And he proceeded to hand me several guns that he had all within his reach that I was oblivious to when I walked into his house. As I began to piddle with the guns, I began to pray. Oh Lord, don't let him do anything stupid. And oh Lord, don't let anyone get injured. In Jesus' name, amen. That was what caused me anxiety that day. Since that time, there have been a number of things in my life that has caused me anxiety. What about you today? What stirs anxiety in your gut and in your throat? Is it the fear of the unknown? Is it the fear of maybe not knowing whether or not your job is secure? Is it your health? Maybe it's your children or your family. What causes you anxiety today? Is it the fear of of the unknown? Or is it the fear of the known? You know that your job is on the line. You know that company is getting ready to back uh, just eliminate some positions. Or maybe you you know that you have friends or family members that are loved ones that don't know Jesus and your fear is that 
They may spend eternity apart from Christ. What is it that causes anxiety in your gut and your throat today? Or maybe it is health. Maybe you know things are not looking good for you. When you're afraid, what do you do? We turn to Habakkuk chapter 3 because Habakkuk is afraid. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says that all of chapter 3 of Habakkuk is dominated by fear. And he he says it in verse 2. He admits, he says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, O Yahweh, do I fear. What's the work that God's about to do that's causing Habakkuk to be afraid. It isn't that Habakkuk doesn't know what God's up to that's causing him to be afraid. What's causing Habakkuk to be afraid is that he knows exactly what God's up to. How about you? For some of you today, you may be afraid because you have no idea what God's doing in your life. You're confused about what he's trying to do right now. But some of you may be afraid because it's obvious and it's clear to you exactly what God is calling you to do. We recently assessed a potential church planter for our presbytery, and he was clear on what God was calling him to do. And we asked him how he felt. He said, I'm excited, scared. In other words, he was excited about what God was calling him to do, but he was fearful about the task at hand. Habakkuk is afraid because he knows exactly what God's revealed to him. And what has God revealed to Habakkuk? It's the fact that God's people are going to be judged by the wicked nation of Babylon. And then eventually God will judge the Babylonians themselves. And what does Habakkuk do when he's afraid? You see it in verse 1. He prays. When Habakkuk is afraid, he prays. James Montgomery Boyce says this, Times may be bad, the future may become worse, but the righteous will live by faith in him who alone is worthy of that faith. That is really the gospel nugget in Habakkuk. If you look at Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it says, The righteous shall live by his faith, which is a golden gospel nugget that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So this morning, church, I want to ask you, what do you do when you're afraid? I want to encourage you to pray. Well, thanks, Pastor Tanner. That really clears it up. I knew that before I got up this morning, got the kids ready for church, and brushed our teeth, and rushed here, and avoided all the traffic. But how are you to pray when you're afraid? And I want to submit to you that that as we take a look at verses 2 through 16 of this passage, that Habakkuk provides us two reminders, two precious reminders of how we are to pray when we are afraid. And the first reminder is this. When you're afraid, here's how you're to pray. And it's real nerdy, it's real Presbyterian, but you just got to go with it, okay? Remember God's attributes. Remember God's 
attributes. In verses 2 through 7, what we see is that Habakkuk, as he begins to pray, as he's afraid, he begins to remember God's attributes. What does that mean? That means he remembers God's character. He remembers God's qualities. He remembers who God is. That's what worship is. That's what prayer is, is offering up to God our acknowledgement of who he is. And when you pray like that, when you're afraid, guess what happens? You get your eyes off of yourself. You get your eyes off the situation, the circumstance surrounding you. And you get your eyes upon the one who's willing to hear your prayer. And is more than able to answer. So let's take a look at verses 2 through 7 this morning. As we take a look at some of the, the attributes of God. Before we do this, let me say this. How many of you ever watched a movie, and in the middle of the movie, one of the characters begins to reminisce and have a flashback? Are, are you familiar with situations like this? I want to submit to you that that is exactly what's happening here in Habakkuk chapter 3 as Habakkuk prays. As he begins to pray to God as he's afraid, what happens in Habakkuk's mind is he begins reminiscing. He begins having flashbacks about God's attributes and God's character that God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. Okay, So you keep that in mind as you listen to Habakkuk pray, you'll be reminded of the attributes of God you need to focus on when you pray. Listen to God's word. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What do we learn about God's attributes there? O Lord is the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh. It's the name that God revealed to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. And Moses says, God, I know you want me to go up to Pharaoh, but when Pharaoh asked me who sent me, who should, what should I say? I am has sent you. The eternal God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God is the God to whom Habakkuk prays when he's afraid. Why is that important? That you know that the God that listens to you listens. Leaning into you with the desire to keep the promise he has made to you. That he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he's a just God. It says there in verse 2, in wrath remember mercy. That's the, the summary of this whole prayer. We really could just preach on verse 2 this morning. I'm not, but we could. That God is a just God. And how does Habakkuk know that God is just? Because God is not going to ignore his own people of Judah that have disobeyed him. Because God's going to judge them. He's going to punish them with the wicked Babylonians. But how else is God just? God's going to prove his justice and that he's not going to allow the wicked Babylonians to go unscathed either. That eventually God will punish them as well. But what else do we see here about God's character, God's attributes? That he's merciful. That he's merciful. Then in verse 3, it goes back to Mount Sinai as God came from Taman on the, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Another name for Mount Sinai when God appears to his people and gives them the Ten Commandments. What do we remember about God? That God is the Holy One that's transcendent, that's above us. 
but yet is near us. Why is that important to remember about God as you pray when you're afraid? It's very important for you to be reminded of this fact that there is someone far greater you need to be afraid of than your enemies or the people that are causing you harm. When you fear God, you have no one or nothing else to fear. As the scriptures say elsewhere, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then notice how it talks about God's radiance and his glory and his omnipotent power. When it says, hearkening back to the Exodus and God's appearing to his people on Mount Sinai, verses 4 and 5, his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. But before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels, remembering all the plagues that God used to deliver his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. Why is it important to remember that God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful? Because when you're afraid, you need to know. You need to be reminded of the fact that there's one who's far greater than the situation or circumstance you are facing. And then my favorite part of this passage is verse 6. It says, talking about God's sovereignty, it says, He stood and measured the earth and looked and he shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. In other words, God reminds Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is reminded of God's sovereignty, that although the mountains may look like they are immovable and unshakable, only God is the one who is eternal, immovable, unshakable, and in control. So what happens when Habakkuk prays and he's afraid? He remembers God's attributes. He remembers who God is. That he's the Holy One, that he's just, that he's merciful, that he's all-powerful, he's sovereign, he's in control. I know a lot of you like to travel around the world. I don't get out much, as you can tell. How many of you have ever heard of this pub? Oh, you're going to kind of tell on yourself if you have. We won't say that you actually went in there and had a beverage. How many of you have ever heard of the pub named St. George and the Dragon? Anybody? Anybody ever heard of, okay, St. George and the Dragon? J-Cass. Have you ever been there? No, okay, no. Well, I'm told that there's a pub named St. George and the Dragon, and that it's in this old, picturesque English village. And I'm told this is a true story, that there was a homeless man that was making his way down the streets of this old picturesque English village, and he was hungry, and he wanted something to eat, and so he saw the name of this pub, St. George and the Dragon. And he thought to himself, St. George, well, that's got to be somebody with a little bit of a disposition towards generosity. So he went and knocked on the door. This woman opened up that was running the, the, the kitchen and asked him, what do you want? And he said, well, I'm homeless. I'm hungry. I was hoping that you might provide me a free meal. And she said, no, you lazy bum. We don't just hand out food around here. Get out of here. Scram. I never want to see you again. So the homeless man hung his head and began walking away from the end of the pub there, St. George and the Dragon. As he walked away from the pub, he looked again at the name. St. George and the dragon. And he smiled and he turned around and he went back to the same door and knocked on it again. 
The same woman answered and said, what do you want? He said, I, was, I came hoping for some food. She said, didn't I just tell you to get out of here? He said, yeah, but this time I was hoping to speak to St. George and not the dragon. <laughs> what happened in that moment? In that moment, that homeless, helpless man leaned into the name of the pub. What does Habakkuk encourage us to do, church? That when we're afraid and we're helpless and we feel hopeless, lean into God. Lean into his character. Lean into the God who is for you. Lean into the God who listens to you. But not only lean into the one who listens to you, lean into his son who intercedes for you this very morning. And as you are agonizing and fearful about your situations and circumstances, be reminded of your Savior that in the Garden of Gethsemane interceded and prayed for you that very night. As he contemplated the cross that he was about to bear on your behalf, the scriptures say in Luke chapter 22, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In that garden that day, as Jesus contemplated the wrath of God he was about to endure, he modeled for you God's mercy. On that day, God the Father answered Habakkuk's prayer, In your wrath, O God, remember mercy. When you're afraid, church, what do you do? You pray. How do you pray when you're afraid? You remember God's attributes. You remember the one to whom you are praying. Because the one to whom you are praying is also the one that is interceding on your behalf. The second last reminder I want us to take a look at in verses 8 through 16 is that you not only remember God's attributes, but you remember God's actions. What we're going to see in verses 8 through 16 is that Habakkuk, as he prays, he has these flashbacks and these allusions to redemptive historical events throughout history. Ways that God has intervened in history on behalf of his people. Several significant redemptive historical events are continuously alluded to here. Mainly the Exodus, which God brings his people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Also what's uh, alluded to in this passage is the conquest of Canaan that God is granting to his people uh, awarding them the promised land of Canaan. And then also what's alluded to here is just the fact that God is our divine warrior that goes out on behalf of his people and intervenes for them. And what's so painful for Habakkuk as we read through these verses is this. Is that Habakkuk knows that the same God that has been mighty to deliver his people. The one who's been the defender and the deliverer of his people. Is, now, is about to turn his wrath 
and his justice upon his people and discipline them for their disobedience. So as we t- I'm going to read just verses 8 through 15, and I want you to just be hopefully overwhelmed by the overall image of these illusions. Verse 8, he asks God, I think it's a humorous question, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses and on your chariot of salvation? In other words, when you you split the Red Sea in two, when you split the Jordan in two, when you allowed your people to go over into the promised land or you allowed your people to go over on dry land, were you angry at the sea? What's the answer? No. But it was rather a picture of God's actions, his redemptive historical action in delivering his people. And then see, God is the divine warrior in verse 9. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. In other words, God goes out as this divine warrior to protect and defend his people. The mountains saw you and, and writhed, and the raging water swept on. The deep, forth, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. And then picturing Joshua in chapter 10, the sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. Habakkuk is just remembering, he's flashing back, he's reminiscing on all these multiple ways that God has acted in redemptive history to save his people, to deliver his people, to act on their behalf. And as he prays, as he's afraid, he remembers God's actions. Why is that significant? Because if God has done it before, he can do it again. And so verse 13, he says, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And then he gives several other allusions to the Exodus in verse 13, 14, 15, and following. But then let's skip down to verse 16. He says, I hear my body trembles, my lips Quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. In other words, what is he saying? God, I've remembered, I've had a flashback of all these ways you've acted on behalf of your people to protect them. I'm going to lean into you. As I wait for you to punish your people and then deliver them once again. Because you've promised that although you're going to use Babylon to judge us, eventually you will destroy Babylon. So what does he do? He prays, remembering God's actions. There's an old television reporter that's dead and gone now, I do believe. His name's Phil Donahue. How many of you remember Phil Donahue? Google him, YouTube him later. He's a bitter old man. But I'm not sure about his, his faith. I know for a while he was agnostic. Don't know where he was before he died. But Phil Donahue tells a story about a West Virginia preacher he encountered. I'm kind of partial to our stories about West Virginia preachers. But Phil Donahue was, was serving uh, as, uh, for a television news station in Ohio. And while he was serving as a television news broadcaster in Ohio, there was a, 
a coal mining accident in the state of West Virginia. And Phil Donahue was dispatched to go down to West Virginia and to interview folks about the miners that were trapped in the coal mines. And as Phil Donahue got there, he had an old camera that, this was before you could have cameras and videos on your cell phone, that was a long time ago. Um, but his camera wouldn't work because it was just so cold there in the hills of West Virginia. And there was this old backwoods West Virginia preacher that rolled up onto the scene, not very impressive at all. He got out of his, his banged up pickup truck. He gathered the families in a circle that had loved ones beneath the ground that were trapped. And the pastor prayed with those people and then they began to disperse. It was around that time that Phil Donahue finally got his camera to warm up enough that it could start working. And so Phil Donahue went to the West Virginia backwoods preacher and he said, Hey, preach, my camera was frozen. Could you kind of pose again so I can take a picture and we can get some video footage of you guys praying for the news? And the preacher said this to Phil Donahue. Young man, with all due respect, we've already prayed. We don't pray to pose, and we don't pray to pose for pictures. We pray to see God act and move. Although Phil Donahue was not a Christian, he says that preacher's unwillingness to pose for a picture impacted him greatly. And his action or lack of action lingered in his mind for years to come. Friends, when you're afraid, pray. But you have something far greater to lean into than an old backwoods West Virginia preacher you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, into whom you can lean and linger with trust. Because you have someone far greater than a West Virginia preacher interceding for you. You even have someone far greater than the, the prophet Habakkuk interceding on your behalf today. It is the Son of God, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have proof in that son that God has answered Habakkuk's prayer that in your difficult situations when you're afraid, in his wrath, he will remember his mercy. The proof is at the cross. The God the Father made his son who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that same Lord Jesus that interceded on your behalf against in prayer of Gethsemane, continues to intercede on your behalf this very day. And so when you're afraid, pray. Remembering to whom you pray, remembering who he is, and remembering what he's done for you. And as you remember and pray, trust me, it, your heart will begin to bubble up in praise. And as you pray, pray remembering who God is and what he's done for you, you're going to begin to praise him and you're going to give God a hymn because you're reminded of him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you in this sweet hour of prayer and we pray and plead that when we're afraid that you would help us to pray to you, remembering who you are and remembering what you've done for us through Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn our hymnals to the Red Trinity Hymnal, hymn number 634. We're going to stand and sing together, Sweet Hour of Prayer, verses 1 and 3 together this morning. Let's stand and sing. <laughs> 